0: Welcome to Dietitians Uncorked, a podcast hosted by Kat and Kelly, two registered dietitians who co-founded Nutriving, a virtual nutrition practice. We talk all things food, nutrition, life, and of course, wine. This is a judgment-free zone where all foods fit and all bodies are welcome. Thanks for listening.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to another wonderful episode of Dietitians Uncorked. We are so excited you're here. We have a great episode today. We are diving into the topic of salt and kind of going through some common questions that we get about salt. We are going to end it with, I would say, the most common question that we get, which is, is there a best salt option? Should I be using Mm -hmm. one over the other? So stay tuned for that. Um, Before we dive into our topic, we also wanted to let you know that Kat and I have been working super hard on getting our group program up and going. So it's called Nourished and Empowered. It's going to be a three-month group program that's kind of a hybrid of videos that we are recording for you to have on-demand access to, paired with um, a component of an online supportive community, and a few other Mm -hmm. um, aspects. So we are working really hard to get that up, and we have information. We have a nice informational video on our website. So if you go to newtriving.com, you'll see a tab that says Services with a drop-down for our group program. So all the information is there. We have a form on there that you can drop your name and your email if you're interested, and then you'll be signed up for any of the emails that come through so that you'll know when that group is opening. Okay, announcements out of the way. Um, now to the important things, right? Kat, what are you drinking today?
0: The important stuff. <laughs> Love it. Um, I am drinking a Merlot, and I'm really loving this one. It's um, Valle de it's a It's a wine called Caliterra. It's Chilean, and it's just it was such a delight to drink it was one of those wines that you could just drink all day because it was just it was smooth and um it did not necessarily you know how some people describe wines as like this is a food like something you have with food or like something you just have by itself i feel like this wine paired with both and it was just lovely
1: that's great. I would say, yeah, what about you? We're twins today. Um, Kat ah. has definitely, especially since we've started podcasting, she's inspired me to push my uh, wine boundaries a little bit. So I've been drinking Merlot's, like you, and um, Carmenere as well, which actually,
0: yes.
1: what's the. Where is your wine it's from today?
0: Valle de, Valle de Colchagua. Yeah,
1: that's where mine's from. <laughs> so oh my I gosh. have a Chilean Carmener. Um, the the brand is called Criterion, um, but it's from that. Okay, I'm going to try it. Valle de Colchagua.
0: Yes! <laughs> so I you, love you it. don't really
1: pronounce the G?
0: Colchagua. Like, The D is kind of you, you mean like, yeah, 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 you you don't so, um, yeah, yeah. I almost Um, sound Chilean, right? Yes, you do. (laughs) I feel like that's a very Chilean way to pronounce it. If Uh you probably were reading it from another country, you wouldn't, you might pronounce it a little different. Yeah, it's a Chilean pronunciation.
1: It's really good though. I like it. It's like spicy, full bodied. So I'm definitely on the Carmenere train these days, thanks yes. to
0: you. I am. Um, I will take the credit. It's a <laughs> wonderful credit to. Uh, it's my mission, you know, to tell people about exactly uh, Chilean wine. It's your
1: mission mm-hmm. in life. Yep. One of them. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Other than telling people about salt, right? You know. <laughs> nice segue. <laughs> um, so I. I feel like we've talked a lot about sugar. We have not really talked as much about salt, and I think there's many reasons for that. But one of the things I think that um, it, we get a lot of questions about or confusion, we really are trying to address most of them in this episode regarding salt. And so, hopefully, if you if we didn't cover anything, let us know, and we'd be happy to address it. Um, we were trying to take the perspective of somebody, a consumer, rather than somebody who's in the field of health or, you know, uh, even just as like somebody who likes to read research or look at the science behind it, we wanted to just bring in the information that seemed pertinent. So let's dive in. Um, So what is it? I think there's a little bit of a confusion of salt and we call it sodium and, you know, it's, it's confusing. So salt is a mineral that's composed of sodium and chloride. Um, the percentage is around 40 percent sodium, 60 percent chloride. Um, one teaspoon of, of table salt really has about 2300 milligrams of sodium in it. Uh, a lot of people get confused about this because when we talk about reducing uh, salt sometimes we say you know it's a, a low sodium option is this and so there's kind of that confusion so, Hopefully that clears it up a little bit. But the reason why we use salt is to add a little bit of flavor. It can act as a binder, a stabilizer, a preservative. This is why some of our canned products have things with salt in them, just as a preservative. Also, bacteria can't really thrive in a very salty environment. So it's one of the reasons why we use salt so much in our food. And we do need salt. You know, in our body, it serves for nerve impulses, muscle contraction, water mineral balance. It's not like we're making this up like, oh, we don't really need salt and it's just something we add for flavor. We do actually need some sodium in our body, but we're probably all consuming maybe just a tad too much. So
1: when it comes to recommendations for salt, as Kat talked about, there are bodily functions that we need salt for nerve impulses, muscle contraction. We want that stuff to keep working, right? So minimally our consensus that we found when we were doing research for this episode is that we need about 500 milligrams a day of sodium just to do those baseline functions. Of course we're going to need more food than that, right? There's salt naturally found in a variety of foods. And then we also have our added salt. So most recommendations right now are centering around about 2,300 milligrams of sodium a day to limit, like not go above that threshold. And this is the level that's been established for most people in order to reduce Mm -hmm. the risk of chronic disease. When we look at what people are actually consuming compared to that number, the most recent data that we found shows that in the United States, most males are coming in about 2,000 milligrams over that threshold of 2,300 milligrams, and females are coming in at about 1,000 milligrams over. So a good amount above that threshold, right? Which brings us, at the end of this episode, we'll kind of touch on some common salty foods,
0: Yeah, in foods that you kind of don't expect to have sodium necessarily or like that much uh, amount of sodium. And I think this is why we're doing this episode is because salt can be uh, used in so many ways to like preserve food and we forget that we're probably consuming a little too much and it would be good for all of us to reduce it. Before we get there, I want to talk about something called salt sensitivity and I think a lot of people don't. Um, Some people have this, some people don't, and there's kind of a misconception uh, a little bit, but um, it might be a genetic thing that happens to different people. Um, Some people respond differently to sodium than others. Uh, This will also affect the way that salt may influence blood pressure um, in their case. Some of these people just have kind of an abnormal kidney reaction to salt, meaning that they retain most of the salt compared to other people when some people just sort of flush it out. So those with salt sensitive, um, the genetic component of being salt sensitive may experience like a greater bump in their blood pressure um, or a greater influence in restricting sodium intake. I am, I personally know a few people that are salt sensitive and sometimes they have like symptoms that are sort of, maybe like what we might associate like extreme dehydration after or just like you know when you eat a lot of salty foods and you might like get a little swollen or like if you haven't had a lot of water and then Mm -hmm. um eventually you kind of develop dry mouth or you kind of like super thirsty super thirsty you're feeling like your skin's super dry people that are salt sensitive have that times 10 so they might have a few slices of pizza that you and I would be like oh, okay well there's a lot of sodium in here but like we're fine these people might have these symptoms shortly after consuming that and they know they know they have to consume more water in order to counter that out so that's kind of an interesting thing that it's important to note um, especially if you're trying to limit sodium and this is something that you have like you have noticed that your body responds a little bit more sensitive to salt um, you might actually benefit like even more. Your body will respond even more to that sodium restriction.
1: Yeah, that's a, a really interesting point that I, I don't think a lot of people are familiar with. And and truly, there's no test. Like you can't go to the doctor and be like, can I have a salt right. sensitivity test? Um, yeah, but yeah. if you can tune into how you feel after having, you know, heavier salt meals, um, that can kind of give you a gauge like, do am I more salt sensitive? Is a higher salt diet may be going to increase blood pressure for me. Like personally, I I don't think I'm crazy salt sensitive, but I will notice like the rings that I wear, if I have a saltier meal, they will feel tighter. Like I'll go Mm -hmm. to take them off Mm -hmm. and it's a little bit harder. And then the thirst hits me. So I definitely personally like experience some of those symptoms and given that I do have, you know, some genetic risk factors for blood pressure, for heart issues, that's something for me that's, you know, worth it to pay attention to. And I think it's kind of shaped how, how I crave salt or like don't crave salt. I feel like I salt food a little bit less, maybe because I'm aware of those things. And at this point, because I've been doing that for so long, if I have something really salty, I don't, necessarily enjoy it like sometimes the salt just tastes overpowering to me and then I can't Mm -hmm. taste the Mm -hmm. other flavors in the food which I'm Mm -hmm. not about like I want to taste the other flavors you know I don't want salt to be like the dominating factor
0: yeah you know I feel like salt and sugar are like you know if you if you restrict a bit on either one of those then if you have something that has like a lot of sugar Mm -hmm. or a lot of salt It's, like, unpleasant. You're Mm -hmm. like, oh, geez, this is way too much. Um, I remember in college, I was in a food lab class, and um, I had just, you know, I knew that we needed to restrict salt, like, in general. And so I started kind of, like, choosing low-sodium things and, like, not really putting a lot of salt in my food. And then I went as far as to, like, not really try to season things with food. Um, It was a very sad period of my life because (laughs) everything tasted so bland. bland. (laughs) And I remember being in this like uh, food lab class where we cooked food and we talked about the science behind, you Mm -hmm. know, the different things that happen when you cook food, and but also from a nutrition perspective. And I remember my professor tasting something I made, and I I'd put maybe very little salt, and she was like. Why are you so afraid of salt? Like <laughs> this tastes disgusting. <laughs> called you <laughs> oh, out. Um, called me out for sure. Um, and I remember a classmate was like, "Yeah, I don't salt anything." And just, my professor was like, "This is insane! Like you, you guys know that this is like a salt, like a like a you should watch out for it." But it's not like you don't, you know, need to go to that extreme mm-hmm. to not salt anything. And she's like, "Salt is life." And so then I realized. I'd gotten a little too far. Involved, yeah. You know? It
1: really is a balance. And I, I had a, a similar, because it's like a chemical thing, right? Like if you completely yeah. eliminate salt, you're, you're doing a disservice to whatever you're creating. Right. I had a similar right. class in grad school, like a food science class in my master's program and the professor, he was a chef and he was amazing. Like so many good nuggets of wisdom that he would drop, but he always said, you should you should season when you're cooking, like at every layer. So not just at the end, he was like a big proponent of kind of doing it gradually and letting the flavors like really build. And I thought that was such good advice. And I, I try to follow that in general. I still think I salt maybe less than other people, but it is crucial to like, actually get the flavor, you know, development that you want. And I think it's a good thing to be aware of. Like you said, like you don't want to over salt, but it's also entirely like our bodies can process salt. Like it's okay to include salt and it's especially important to enjoy your food and like be excited about what you're eating.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For sure, for sure. And I think this is why balance is so important. Because the days that we're consuming maybe highly processed foods, foods that taste delicious but are probably, you know, a little too salty or um, have a lot of fat in them, great. They can fit, you know, all foods can fit in a a diet. But Mm -hmm. those are the days that we probably should be drinking more water, should be more conscious of the fact that the other meals should be a little bit more balanced. And the ones that we cook at home, we could have a little bit more understanding of how much salt we're putting in so that we're not always making the, the salty choices. Right.
1: So why do we even talk about salt uh, when it comes to health? And Kat and I always vacillate between going deep in a rabbit hole when we're doing prep (laughs) for podcasts and, you know, trying to keep it light. Right. So we did review a lot of literature and we're trying to kind of bring you the current consensus so when it comes to salt there is definitely a link between dietary salt intake and blood pressure so when we have a lot of salt in our diet your body holds on to water so that's part of that salt is going in the bloodstream that's where a lot of our body water is kept and so the body will hold on to some water to try to dilute that sodium level just to kind of maintain balance of everything. Like all of the minerals in our blood are, are very tightly regulated and salt is one of those. So if we have slightly more salt in our body, our body is going to hold on to water to dilute that and keep the level where it wants it. When that happens, now we have more water that we're holding on to. So this translates into a higher blood volume. So literally like more liquid going through our, you know, arteries, our vessels. So you can imagine our our vessels are one size, right? Think of like like a pencil, like skinny and long. And now we have more volume in there. So that's gonna increase the pressure on the walls. So that is the link Mm -hmm. between salt intake and higher blood pressure. So that's really not disputed. Like everything that Kat and I saw made it pretty clear that salt intake increases blood pressure. As we just talked about that relationship can be different. And some people who are more salt sensitive, that relationship is very clear. So when they go to reduce salt, they will see improvements in blood pressure. In other people, they're not quite as affected by that. So there's definitely some individual difference, but there's really no disputing at this point that that link exists. The next step, however, is a little bit different. So sometimes I think when Kat and I went to research this episode, we thought we would find like more contradicting information. Is that how you would say? I was
0: waiting for the the juice when it came to.
1: Not the as, not as juicy as, as one would <laughs> <That's> think. <juicy. laughs> um, I think from, yeah, what, what we saw is really blood pressure is a risk factor for cardiovascular disease. And salt mm-hmm. can increase our blood pressure. But we can't skip that step and say that a high salt diet is going to cause cardiovascular disease. It's like skipping you know the middleman or, or the middle step. Um, so that's kind of our lay of the land in terms of salt and heart health. Um, salt is also related to kidney health. So as Kat was talking about, the kidney is responsible for um, kind of flushing out, excreting various minerals in the body. Salt is one of them. And so when we have a high salt diet, kind of makes the kidneys work harder. So I talked before about how salt can cause us to retain water. And when we retain water, the kidney is filtering more. Its job is just harder. Like it's doing more because there's a higher volume of liquid in our body. So over time, this, it's kind of like putting extra work on the kidneys. And so they Mm -hmm. can essentially get tired, right? Those arteries are pretty small and they're delicate in the kidney and they can be damaged, you know, easily. So over time, if we have a high salt diet, this can increase our risk for what's called a chronic kidney disease or CKD you might have heard of essentially just this means our kidneys are not working quite as well as they used to
0: yep um I, and i think this is why like it's so important that we do talk about salt in a nutrition podcast because as you can as you can already tell it is affecting blood pressure which is connected to our heart health it's affecting kidney function which gosh i mean don't kidneys do amazing things for our bodies it's important that we take care of them um the 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 concept that we are all consuming too much sodium is is true but also there's i think there's a misunderstanding as far as like where sodium is or, like, in its highest amount in foods. So I I really, I I think it's an important topic, too, to, like, especially if you have a family or friends who suffer from these things, um, if you know what kinds of foods are affecting their health, you are more prone to want to be able to, you know, have foods in your house that are not massively... You know, heavy for blood pressure or for the blood pressure response or for kidneys. Um, anyway, just a little PSA for those <laughs> who uh have family members or friends who are uh, trying to help their sodium intake. Another thing that um it's important to note is that um potassium and um salt, or sodium have an interesting relationship. The ratio between potassium and sodium is really important. What we want to recommend is for people to consume more potassium and less sodium, but the opposite is actually happening. Most of us are consuming too much sodium and not enough potassium. Studies have shown that people with the highest ratio of sodium to potassium in their diets has doubled the risk of dying from heart attack, than people with lower ratios. So so essentially what I'm trying to say is people are not consuming enough potassium, and that's an area where education can play a really important role. Also, we know that potassium is found in a lot of fruits and vegetables, and so increasing that is massively important. We did a whole podcast episode on uh, fruit sugar, And why limiting fruit because of their sugar content is not recommended. Because a lot of this fruit has potassium, which helps with blood pressure, which helps with this ratio of sodium and potassium. Uh, Something I do want to mention, though, here, just so that we're not uh, giving the wrong idea to anybody, potassium supplementation can be quite dangerous. Um, So please don't go out there and just buy a bunch of potassium tablets and just pop them in there because that can kill you. Uh, so, <laughs> so um the only way for somebody to safely take potassium supplementation might be with a prescription and also monitoring from a doctor. So which that has been a method. Sometimes doctors do give supplementation for various reasons of potassium, but Just don't go out there on your own and do it. That's uh, usually not a good idea with health.
1: I'm pretty sure this is a very dark uh, fact to share, but (laughs) I remember in grad school when we were learning about potassium, I am fairly certain that is what they give as a lethal injection is some form of potassium because it stops the heart like at extremely high levels. That's a dark fact to share, but, you fun know, someone fact. out there might appreciate it.
0: Yeah, don't do it. Don't, don't go out there and Definitely. buy some supplement. Yeah, no. yeah, just not a good idea, just in general. Just eat the food. Uh, yeah, eat the foods. That's more fun anyway than taking pills. Uh, okay, the next one is salt and calcium balance, and this might be important for somebody who... Uh, might be more concerned about bone health. Um, postmenopausal women uh, in, in really in younger ages, calcium becomes an important mineral to watch out for. And something we do know is that high salty or sodium diets tend to increase how much calcium we're flushing out in our urine. And although there aren't studies that can connect necessarily a high-sodium diet to osteoporosis directly, there is that middleman that we can associate high-sodium diets to uh, elevated excretion of calcium. Uh, So something just to note, it is important also if we are watching our sodium, one of the reasons might be so that we're not flushing as much calcium through our urine, we're able to retain it for the purpose of bone health. There's some discrepancy there. Some studies do say that our body is able to sort of keep some of the calcium in other ways, increase absorption, increase retention for our bone health. Um, but we do know that high sodium foods do cause an elevated excretion of calcium in our urine, which, you know, if You know anything about calcium? It's just one tricky mineral. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: It, like, doesn't want to stay around, which is really unfortunate for most of us. All right. So let's talk about these sneaky, salty foods that you can find um, in places. So I'm going to go first. Um, This is one that I find um, that I forget. I forget that you can find... A lot of sodium in this things which are soups if you're using stock or some of the seasoning things that you might need to use in order to make a soup at home or if you're purchasing the soup somewhere else it's already pre-made Oof, boy those can have like easily over 600 milligrams mm-hmm. of sodium. yeah oh
1: at least um, we can uh, rack it up
0: yeah uh, depending on the portion too Mm but um and they don't necessarily taste super salty that's the thing about sodium you know it doesn't especially in a soup when you're drinking it Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. another one is lunched meats so any kind of, you know, turkey, ham, salami, et cetera, any kind of sandwich that you're getting that has lunch meats tends to be pretty salty because again, salt is used as a preservative. So it's used in the preparation of those meats. And this is one that is easy to forget too. But every time I have Jimmy John's, I remember because I'm so fucking thirsty after I have a sandwich. Yeah.
0: That's a that's a really good telltale sign when you've had something that probably has a lot of sodium mm-hmm. that you didn't think about is the the uh, sort of the cry for hydration right. afterwards that your body might have. Jeff
1: always thinks I'm being really dramatic, but I'm like I need like a liter of water. I, that's <laughs> I am salt sensitive to some extent because yeah. he can eat it yeah. and you know it's different. But I am like okay. a camel, yeah. Yeah. just need the water. Um,
0: I. <laughs> I will say though, I have tried to keep up with your water intake. <laughs> um, you're taller than me, uh, so it's not like I'm trying to like do the same. But man, can you drink a lot of water, know, Kelly? I know, like I can't. It's not normal. I cannot. My body, like, <laughs> oh my god, what are you doing? I'm walking around with like a belly full of water, trying to just keep up with yeah. you. Can't.
1: I get made fun of can't a lot, but up. you know, th- this is my life. I just I need a lot of water. That's true.
0: What's that expression of like drinking someone under the table?
1: I think that is the expression.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I think that's true for us, but not necessarily with alcohol, mm-hmm. just with water. With regular water. I can drink
1: you under yep. the table.
0: Yeah. <laughs> anyway, pasta sauce, which usually pasta sauce is sweet. That's why it can be sneaky. It's in our sneaky list. Pasta sauce again, salt is used as a preservative. Usually, pasta sauce you find it in shelf-stable, you know, glass jars. This is a this is tomato in there, and the reason why it's okay to leave it out there mm-hmm. and it will last as long is because it has salt in it. Um, but they can rack up those milligrams of sodium pretty high.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, which pasta sauce is a good staple to have on hand. You know, the fact that it does yeah. last long is really helpful um if you're you know if you do make a pasta sauce from like whole tomatoes from scratch you don't need to put as much salt in cuz you're not preserving it but if you're canning right, it right. you know for it to be stored on a shelf you really do need that that salt content to preserve it right our next one is pizza which may or may not be sneaky but i often like if we pick up a frozen pizza at the store just to you know keep on hand for crazy days, um, it's really high in sodium. Like the, the store bought yeah. options and I'm sure anything Oof. you get at a restaurant really are up there in terms of salt. So just something to be aware of. And again it goes back to the portion size. Like if you're pairing a few right. slices of pizza with another component for your meal, you know, you're consuming less sodium that way. So it's not the end of the world, but just something to be aware of.
0: Yeah. Salad dressing. I think the reason why this one's sneaky is because there are some salad dressings that might have, like, per serving, you know, a tablespoon or two tablespoons, it might have like 10 milligrams of sodium or 620. So, massive difference Mm -hmm. depending on the type of salad dressing. Again, just to make them shelf-stable, which is a good thing. We want to have available foods, something that helps you get your veggies in uh, to be able to last longer, but... It is a good idea to look at the back of the label, especially if you're someone who has family that has some issues with blood pressure, or if you have family that has issues with kidneys, or you're just trying to watch your overall health and you realize you kind of have a lot of um, high sodium foods that you're consuming often, it might be a good idea to look at the label.
1: Mm-hmm. Next one is frozen meals, which probably isn't surprising to most people. There are so many options on the market at this point that, you know, I don't think it's a given that a frozen meal is going to be high in sodium. I think it was that way for a while, but the industry Mm -hmm. has really expanded. So there's definitely choices at a variety of sodium options, but you know, if you're picking up frozen meals, it's just something to maybe pay attention to as Kat just said, especially if you are, you know, trying to reduce sodium, if you have some other risk factors, that's a, a good thing to pay attention to.
0: Yeah, and the thing about frozen meals is when they're trying to market to you like why you should purchase this frozen meal, there are so many things that they're throwing at you mm-hmm. that we get sort of confused, right? So it's like it's lean, it's low in mm-hmm. you know, uh fat, yeah. it's gluten free. Twenty grams of protein. Organic, <laughs> it has so much protein. And so you're like, uh, okay, this looks good because it has you know higher protein, it has less saturated fat, it's uh, gluten-free, it's organic, it's whatever, and it's pretty. And then you look at the back of the label and it's like a 1,000 milligrams Mm -hmm. of salt for one serving. And then you're like, well...
1: Yeah. Which if we go back to that recommendation at the very beginning that we talked about, like 2,300 milligrams, kind of a good target for a day, you know, a 1,000 for one meal, you're already close to half, so... It can definitely add up.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Pickles, love them. I
0: don't think that's surprising, but we love them. You know, I used to not like pickles.
1: Really? Yeah,
0: I used to be the person who gave every somebody at the table the pickle Mm -hmm. because I was like, I don't like this. And now I love. I do too.
1: I love making them. It's just like a, a little kitchen experiment.
0: Oh wow! I've never made pickles
1: before. It's pretty easy, and there's a lot of ways to like change it up. Um, but again, you you need salt, like that's unavoidable right, to preserve. Yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah.
1: The last one would be well, there's plenty more we could talk about, but we're trying to keep it sure, tight. Sure. <laughs> so one more to share is uh, like instant noodles. So things like ramen noodles. There are a bunch of different brands, you know, different types, but, but really what it comes down to is that seasoning packet that comes with it. So instant noodles are a great staple to have on hand, you know, something quick that you can prepare. If you're looking to reduce sodium, maybe, maybe don't use like the whole packet. Like you really, you don't need it to be honest. Like there's a lot of very concentrated flavor in the packet. You could cut it in half. You could just, you know, use part of it, but that's a way to reduce the sodium and then add other stuff. Like, I don't know about you, Kat, but if I'm using an instant noodle situation, I'll usually cut the seasoning packet in half and then I will add like frozen peas in there, like saute mushrooms, throw edamame in there, like other foods that are something spicy, like put a chili in there or something just to give it more complexity instead of just a sodium bomb.
0: Yeah. No, I, and I feel you. Um, I, I, have watched people put double the packet into one small Why thing. Why would you do that? And as a dietitian, <laughs> I know. And they're like, you get more flavor. And oh. then as a dietitian, I'm like, oh my
1: God. It's just pressure. overpowering. Like I'm fine it's with a the salty flavor, it's but if that's the only thing you taste, I'm not into that.
0: Um, so if you're, we're not judging you, if this is what you do, but instead of doing that, uh, you could, like Kelly said, don't use the whole packet. And then um, I'm not as fancy to add other things usually, because if I'm choosing the instant noodles, typically it means I have like 0.5 seconds <sighs> to eat it and, you know, move on with my I'll life. Start. So, I, but I do add something spicy mm-hmm. and I feel like the spice yeah. of, um, it, of course, we like spicy things. Right. So if you don't like it, you ignore this comment. But uh, the spiciness just like kick it, kick the whole mm-hmm. flavor thing up a notch. And it, then it feels.
1: Yeah. It awesome. complements it well. Yeah. Okay. Last thing we're going to touch on in this episode is a question we get all the time Is there a best option for salt? So we wanted to touch. Like just go through that real quick, touch base on a few different types of salt so that you kind of understand where we're coming from. So kosher salt is a very common salt to use. And with kosher salt is essentially with all salt. What's happening is that the types of salt vary in their sodium content. So remember sodium is a component of salt. So the type of salt will vary in the sodium content based on the crystal size. So like if you take an individual salt crystal and look at the size, you'll see that with kosher salt, for example, it's usually a larger crystal than if you had like a table salt, which is going to be pretty small, like a very consistent shape. So because of that, if you think about like scooping a teaspoon of that salt with bigger crystals, they don't pack together as densely. So that means you're going to have less sodium in a teaspoon of kosher salt, for example, which is a larger crystal size than you would with a teaspoon of table salt, the smaller crystal size. There's also differences depending on the brand. So for kosher salt, for example, two of the big brands are Morton kosher salt, like in that blue box and then diamond kosher salt and in preparation for this episode I was actually looking at a few of my cookbooks um Kat had gifted me this amazing dessert book called dessert person love it by Claire Saffitz I think is how you say your name
0: yeah Yes, I'm a massive
1: fan of Claire. So good. Yes, that book is really geared towards people who love cooking but don't necessarily love baking, which is me to a T. And it it is wonderful. Like, highly recommend if you are trying to get into baking and you know just aren't there yet. Her book is, I guess that's not the topic of this pod episode, but it is truly <laughs> amazing. Um, but that book we will do a
0: promo for Claire's <laughs> yeah, right. Any day.
1: yeah. <laughs> that book, as well as Chrissy Teigen, is another cookbook author that I am obsessed with. I have both of her books. I think she's coming out with a new one. Um, but both of those authors, who I highly, highly trust with kitchen advice, kitchen adventures, um, they both talk about the differences in the brands. So Morton kosher salt has more pebbly crystals that pack together more densely than the diamond brand. So that Mm -hmm. means that a teaspoon of Morton salt is actually saltier. It tastes saltier than diamond crystal salt. So both of those cookbook authors recommend that if you use Morton, so their preference is diamond. That's like their gold standard. So this is the less saltier uh, type of kosher salt. So they both recommend using that. And they say, if you use Morton, you should reduce the salt content of your recipes. So Claire specifically says, reduce it by half. To account for the difference in, in the brand types and the density of the the crystals, Chrissy Tegan advises start by cutting by a third. So it's pretty drastic. Like, especially mm-hmm. in baking, you know, that's if you skipped over that intro part of the book, you're fucked, right? Like those those are big differences.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, I don't know about you, but I've made big goods using various different kinds of salt. Not thinking that I'm using maybe a bigger pebbly salt Mm -hmm. versus a finer one. Just sort of putting it in there. Then I'm taking a bite of something that's supposed to be sweet. And then I'm like, salt. And it's um, not a fun surprise. Yeah.
1: I hate when recipes don't say what type of salt they like tested the recipe with. Like sometimes it just says salt. Mm. And I'm like... In my head, they're, they're very different because of this. Like the, the salty yeah. taste varies a lot. And when you look at like how much sodium is in, you know, various teaspoons, like for example, the diamond kosher salt has like about 1100 milligrams of sodium. You compare that to Morton's fine sea salt. Another type of salt has about double that. So like huge differences. And for that reason, I really feel like people should specify what they used.
0: Um, I don't think I specify for our new try. Maybe recipes. we should change it. <laughs> Maybe we should. <laughs> um, definitely don't. I just sort of taste uh, with whatever salt I got mm-hmm. going on in the kitchen.
1: I mean, it is I should. I should. individual as well, right? Like, especially cooking, I feel like there's more flexibility than baking. Sure. And sure so it does depend baking. on your taste. So what one yep. person likes doesn't necessarily mean the next person will like it. Right, so that's a counter argument to my own argument.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's why we're good at evaluating uh, data because we're like, "What if it's this? (laughs) What if I'm going to counter my own argument?" (laughs) It's not. Um, I will say though, like uh, you know that saying that say the only difference between your cooking at home and restaurant cooking is the amount of salt you put in. Sometimes it's the amount of salt and fat you put in. Mm -hmm. I do think that going out and eating at a restaurant you're going to eat a lot more sodium than you do at home because they do like your professor said um you build on salt mm-hmm. so you season a little bit and then you continue to season and it just honestly it sadly it doesn't take too much of of that to for us to meet our recommended or are the maximum intake it's we should have right. no not the maximum intake The recommended intake Mm -hmm. we should meet. Another type of salt that we get asked about is sea salt. And I guess a difference between what um, Kelly was just talking about is that sea salt is produced by the evaporation of ocean or seawater. So mostly sodium chloride with sometimes small amounts of trace minerals. And this these minerals could be like potassium, zinc, iron. Honestly, if you were to ask me like, what is the biggest difference between the salt? It There really aren't that big differences between salts. So the differences we're outlining here are not necessarily massive differences. Um, but we do want to let you know, so you know kind of the that there are some small differences. Uh, The other salt we get asked about is Himalayan salt. Are you, do your clients, are they all obsessed with Himalayan salt? Because there was a time in my practicing years in a hospital that literally everyone Mm -hmm. was obsessed with Himalayan salt.
1: Not my current wave, but I've certainly, it it seems like it comes in phases. Like I will just have handfuls of people on the Himalayan salt train.
0: Interesting. So yeah, so there there are some diets, that, for example, that specifically tell people to do sea salt or to do Himalayan pink salt. Um, so let's get into what that is. So Himalayan salt is harvested from the mines of Pakistan. The pink tone or hue that comes from it is from iron oxide. It contains very minimal trace of minerals, like 2%. Okay, so when people are like, it has all these minerals, 2% are all these minerals. Okay, so 98% is sodium chloride, just like your table salt. And then the other one, the other 2% is trace minerals. That's why it has that specific cute color. Um, honestly, there's been some some intensive research to find if there are some health benefits that you can find from this Himalayan pink salt Um, and the truth is conclusion is pretty much across the board that there aren't really massive health benefits that we can attribute to himalayan salt versus table salt i don't we there's not there's not that evidence so if you're following a diet and it's like you can only use this salt for the minerals know that they're talking about a very small percentage of minerals that you can potentially get There was a research article that, like, wanted to get, like, the real Himalayan salt. So, like, they actually went to Peru and got a sample from this Himalayan salt in Peru that had this pink tone hue in it. And they shipped it. This article was from Australian um, Research Lab. And they, like, shipped it and analyzed it to see, like, whatever. And they realized the benefit you could potentially get from these trace animal at, at ugh, trace elements was overshadowed by if you had to, if you consumed enough of them to get these trace elements you would have to still consume a lot of sodium so then it was like not benefit beneficial for anybody cuz the benefit was outweighed by the negative effects of sodium in the salt, they also analyze some of the granule, granules, 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 granules. Mm-hmm. Some of the granules of the salt, and some of them contain uh, over the amount of lead that we consider safe for human consumption. So it's trendy, but potentially not for everyone to go crazy about because it's just salt.
1: Another type of salt is just your, your regular table salt. So especially in the States, this is usually iodized table salt. Iodine was actually added to table salt in way back in 1924 as a strategy to prevent goiter and hypothyroidism, which are both conditions that are caused by iodine deficiency. So at this point, most of our table salt is iodized And compared to the other specialty salts that Kat just talked about, the Himalayan salt, your sea salts, um, table salt is more highly refined. So any, you know, trace minerals that are found, any impurities are basically removed and it's essentially just sodium chloride. Um, Usually you have an anti-caking agent as well, just to make sure if you ever like had salt for a really long time, you might notice that. Clumps could start to form um, if, yep. if you have a type that does not have an anti-caking agent. So you might see that on the label as well. Um, but again, these crystal sizes are very small. So this is like a very uniform salt because it has been kind of processed a little bit more to remove those impurities.
0: Uh, something in the marketing strategy that some of these salt, as I was looking oh, I love through, this it, one. some of them say non-GMO <laughs> salt. And, God, it's... I don't get it. Like, uh, the marketing sneakiness that's trying to be like, oh, yeah, we're healthy because this is a non-GMO salt." And, like, if you don't know or even if you don't take a second to think about what they're saying, you're like, oh, okay. Like, kind of like organic or it's, like, clean or less toxic. I don't know what people associate with non-GMO are, but... Um, that doesn't make any sense. It's kind of like saying these apples have no gluten in them or they're cholesterol-free potatoes. Like, that is not a thing. Uh, salt is not an organism. So it does not have genetic material yeah. to modify. I We did go through a lot of information. Is there a best option for salt? no you know like we talked about maybe baking or like difference of sodium in them if you're wanting to make sure that you're not kind of overdoing it you might pick one over the other um some of these like Himalayan salt or sea salt might have a different taste or texture to your foods but really as far as health benefits i don't think that there is a best salt to utilize mm-hmm. Price is also a thing where like some of these are like much more expensive than others. But anyway, we did go through a lot today. Um, We hope that it was informative in a way that you can make better decisions about your health um, and have more awareness of those sneaky salty foods. But as always, we want to thank you so much for tuning in and for listening. If you are new around here, we have a website called New Driving. You can go on there and look at our services. Um, As Kelly mentioned, we have a group service coming up real soon. So if you're interested, drop your email onto the contact info and we will send you some cool information. Anyway, thank you for stopping by. And we care for you. We hope you're safe. Um, And we will see you next week. Bye.